Mm, interesting. Not heard. Oh, any intro music. Interesting. Well, um, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and start the show late, everybody. So that's how it's going to go down. Um, here we go. Uh, we're going to go ahead and spool this while we're waiting for Josh, everybody. So forgive us technical difficulties here. And it's actually uh, your host uh, was um, was not able to set up the, the music, the intro music. So here we go. Are you tired of being sheep? Well, so is he. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. Good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio and welcome to live radio as sometimes technology fails us and we have to improvise. Today is the, good lord, it is the 6th day of March 2014 and I am your host Jake Counts coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, navigating you through this crazy world that we live in. Joining me tonight on the show is my friend and buddy Robert Wasman and Josh Wiley of the Journalistic Revolution. How you doing, guys? Doing good. Thanks for having us, man. Well, yeah, absolutely. Josh, we're having trouble with your video. Are you trying to pull video up, or is it uh, blocking you? Uh, no, there's a there's a bit of an issue with that on my end. For some reason, I have to turn it off and then turn it on for some people. Okay, um, there we go. We got you. So, there we go. those of you that um, are new to the show, I'm trying some different stuff and um, trying this recording software. And um, putting some of my podcasts up on YouTube, especially when I have guests, because I think it's interesting to see each other's faces, see our bodily expressions, especially with the information that we're going to be talking about tonight. We're going to be all over the map. It's going to be kind of a grab bag. And if you want to join the grab bag of conversations, and don't pretend like you're not listening live, because I see you. I see you, live audience. We see everything. We do. We are the NSA. We actually, we're actually all agents of the... Um, of the global spy network. So I'm using Prism through AT&T. So, <laughs> <laughs> so tonight's show, just to let everybody know, um, I, I've been, I changed the format. We went to a more of a intellectual commentary based with a little bit of geopolitical news spliced in, but trying to, um, trying to get information that would be, I guess, considered, um, what would be a good term for us, Josh? What would be something that would be hidden that we would not normally know. What would be a good? I would say I, I always use the term occulted. I would say work. that would be a good one for us as well. So yeah, I, I think it comes with a with a bit of a connotation. But I think sure. that if you make it very clear again with the grammar mm-hmm. uh, of of that term, then you can all be on the same page, and we can all be on the same page. And that's what we're trying to do here. Is um, you know I went from a, a host that just ranted and raved about the new world order, trying to get people to buy into the actual reality of the situation that we are being conquered by a bunch of pens and pieces of paper and not necessarily in um, in guns in your face kind of manner but you're being conquered on paper and I for one don't feel like being a slave the rest of my life and I don't feel like being a wage slave and I don't feel like indebting uh, my children and my children's children to um, a bunch of paper fiat money that's not worth the paper it's not printed on. How dare you? Yeah, I know. Uh, that would consider me a, um intellectual terrorist here in America. So No, an actual terrorist. Yeah. 
Possibly, I'm some I'm in some database, man. Pretty much. But, I don't. I think I think we're about to enter an age where there won't be uh, much of a distinction. <laughs> Probably so. Well, the um, the topics for the show tonight, everybody. We were. Um, it's going to be a grab bag, as I said before. Probably a little bit more of a lighter mood because um, let's just face it. I didn't come up with an outline for today's show, so this could either be a a car crash in slow motion, or it could actually be one of those very very unique podcasts. It actually has a lot of different ups and downs, but we do hit some high notes. So stay tuned. I'm sure that we're going to have two tidbits of knowledge or two tidbits of information, or Robert will have a joke that will make us all laugh. So I, pro- I promise at least two from me personally. So, okay. so at least hopefully, Josh- hopefully if we all contribute two, then there will be six, and then you know six people will listen, and uh, it'll be great. There we go. So now we have, now we have made <laughs> past the vortex of the first five minutes of this rock-solid transmission. So thank you for joining us, everybody. Um, First thing I wanted to talk about tonight, guys, um, Hillary Clinton came out and, um, well, I'm just going to let the mainstream media tell you what Hillary Clinton said. And as we all know, Hillary Clinton, the Council on Foreign Relations darling, just has all of her facts straight and and just knows exactly what she's talking about. And we're just all, you know, we're just all just misinformed. We just don't understand foreign policy. We don't understand geopolitics. We don't understand that bombing a bunch of people in a foreign country or going and enslaving an entire population over in Iraq, that that isn't, um, that isn't called for. So here is um, here's some interesting info about what happened over the last couple of days. And then Hillary Clinton's nice little rebuttal to her statements that she made yesterday um, on a whim, and then we're going to check her. We're going to check her historical references because I think that there might be a few holes in them. No pun intended. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton is comparing Russia's actions in Ukraine to Nazi Germany. Hmm. On Tuesday, the paper reports she said, "Quote: Now, if this sounds familiar, it's what Hitler did back in the 30s. The Germans, by ancestry, who were in places like Czechoslovakia and Romania and other places, Hitler kept saying they're not being treated right. I must go and protect my people, and that's what's gotten everybody so nervous." Reporter Karen Rose Meeks, who was at the private event, confirmed the quote to CBS News. The Detroit Free Press. Okay, so there you go. Um, obviously. It's a closed meeting, so she can pretty much say whatever she wants. And that's what's interesting about Mrs. <clears throat> Mrs. Hillary Clinton is that she's made a couple of trips here to Georgia, and everything's been closed door. It's uh, Nothing's ever out to the public anymore. Everything's all about this, um, this putting everybody in its place, and we're the government, we're above reproach, all of this stuff. So um, let's get her response to what she said, and then um, – and then we can kind of run with this topic, and I'll start with Robert because he looks like he's itching to say something he hasn't said anything yet. So here's her rebuttal to her little common statement. So here we go. As soon as my internet continues to work, um, are we? I think we might be dead on arrival here with this uh, with this audio clip, everybody. I am so sorry. Oh my, oh my goodness. goodness. Oh man, and I don't have. So we might get an ad here. This might be just an absolute goat rope. As the transmission falls apart, Robert, hold on one second to your thoughts on this whole issue. And let's see if I can get this stupid thing to load up. Um, I don't think this is going to happen for us. Wait. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> uh, we're getting a car crash. Okay, so this thing is not working. 
screw you, Politico. I don't really like you guys anyway, and screw you for your rebuttal to Hillary Clinton. But I've got Hillary Clinton rebuttaling to her own rebuttal for today. That's a lot of rebuttals. What difference at this point does it make? That is correct, Hillary. What difference does it make? So anyway, Robert, your take on this situation comparing what the Russians are doing, going in there and salvaging their only port in the Black Sea, uh, in Crimea, which is a heavily populated Russian province with heavy ties to Russia and up until the 1950s was actually part of Russia. But you know what? That's invasive. How dare you? What do you think, man? Well, I think that it's um, definitely – hold on. I'm hearing a little bit of an echo. I'm going to turn myself down a little bit. But, but I think it's – See, this is this is the car crash that will be the greatest We Are Not Cattle podcast in the history of the world. And I'm telling you guys, hang in there. We're going to have six tidbits. Josh guaranteed two on his own. So here we go. I, I think I got it now. I'm not hearing the echo now. Can you hear me? No, you could be like me and just love to hear yourself talk and just keep doing this. No, okay. So, so I think I got it fixed. The, basically what I think the problem is is that you're, You're not, not allowed, allowed to have, to have an opinion, opinion unless you have a PhD on that particular. Are, are you guys still hearing the echo? No, no, we, no, no echo on our end, man. Uh, I definitely am hearing a, a very large echo. <laughs> wow. Okay, interesting. So yeah. technical difficulties abound. Well, um, my my issue is that you're not allowed to have an opinion unless you have a PhD or a doctorate in some specific um, area of expertise. Like just recently, I mean, and this goes to the, um, the problem behind the logic on this, that you're not allowed to have an opinion about history unless you're a PhD historian or anthropologist. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, recently someone was making a claim about vaccines and this guy was all like, well, are you an immunologist? Then, uh, you aren't allowed to have an opinion. Just shut up and take your vaccine. Well, it, Go ahead. So, that's that's a very good point to make. And so uh, as far as Hillary Clinton making, it, it's not surprising that she would try to draw a false uh, paradigm between a uh, two national um, organizations that we had such disdain for in recent history, both Nazis and Russia, mm-hmm. uh, from the Cold War and World War II. So, I mean, it. but for her to make that comparison and just kind of, you know, blow off anybody else's opinion on the matter because they're not an anthropologist or a historian major is very indicative to the way that people in her position, I don't want to say people of power because politicians don't necessarily have the power, Mm -hmm. but people in her position use to muddy the waters of truth. No, I would agree. And I would say, and I'm going to get Josh's take here in a second, but I would say that you're 100% spot on, but it's, it's, almost a, um, it's almost a sickness in our culture that um, speaks to exactly what you say. If, if you have an opinion or if you've done your own research that's not, quote, mainline accepted white paper research or what's the, what's the term they like to use, Josh, whether it's peer-reviewed. If it's not peer-reviewed, then it's definitely not worth looking at. So I think you make some great points there, and it's once again um, – the, the way that the elite talk to to the media now, the way that the elite talk to um, us in general, the people that actually pay their salary in the State Department, the people that pay these people's you know wages through the barrel of the gun from the state coming in our pockets and taking our money at the barrel of a gun, 
And then they have the audacity to roll out red carpets and then say, what difference does it make? And then say, well, yeah, they're kind of like Nazis, and this is kind of crazy what Putin's doing. And it's not that I glamorize Russia or anything like that, but if you look at, if you look at the past 20 years, which country has been going and invading and overthrowing nations? It hasn't been Russia. It's been us. So I think that eventually we're going to have to start looking at the bigger picture of things and saying, well, is this trying to pro- prod us into a, another Cold War like you and I talked about on Tuesday, Josh? Is this, is this the prodding of a new Cold War with Russia in order to, to maintain the crisis so that they can maintain power and control as always? I mean, I it's think just, that the, repeating itself. I think there are a lot of things going on on the chessboard that are very interesting in terms of crisis initiation, if you will, by the uh, Anglo-American establishment the at, at the moment. Yeah, cer- certainly uh, what's going on in EU is is one of those things, you know, the rise of, of neo-fascism, uh, not only in, in the Ukraine, but Greece uh, is, is interesting, and as well as the funding of these groups by Western institutions and uh, kind of deep political actors like the State Department and CIA, mm-hmm. uh, again, the foundations that you mentioned. Uh, but speaking to Robert's point um, about Hillary Clinton and uh, th- this categorization of, uh, of expertology and, and people needing to essentially be licensed uh, on any given particular topic to opine on it accurately. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, Hillary Clinton at, at Wellesley was not a history major. She was a political science major mm-hmm. uh, who obviously went on to rub shoulders with some very powerful people and uh, uh, become quite influential herself. But, you know, this, this supposed history lesson that she's attempting to give Americans right now uh, actually flies in the face of... Uh, History as reported by actual historians like Anthony Sutton, uh, who is a Stanford uh, University professor at the Hoover Institute uh, and published, of course, Wall Street and the Rise of Hitler, uh, detailing uh, very similarly to what's going on now in the Ukraine, uh, the funding of uh, essentially right wing radical groups um, within the country uh, that may or may not have had the, the ability to mobilize effectively without that kind of push and compensation. Now, the only primary difference I would note is that, you know, uh, the, the, the right milita- right-wing military apparatus of the Weimar Republic was also implemented uh, and kind of mobilized in the rise of, of Nazism in Germany, uh, which, of course, we don't really, we're not seeing right now in the Ukraine. But uh, in terms of the same kind of, deep, again, deep political actors funding fascism, uh, this is something that's part and parcel to a lot of world events, including World War II. So I think that uh, it would behoove uh, Ms. Clinton, Mrs. Clinton to uh, to brush up on her history, or perhaps she already knows it and is deliberately manipula- manipulating you. Uh, I guess that's up to you to decide. The I, I would pick the. I would definitely pick the latter because I think it <laughs> does speak to what Robert was saying, and 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 in. In the in the mind frame of the American people, the the mainline Americans, they will typically buy into this kind of propaganda where it's, well, it's I mean Putin's acting like the Nazis, and like Robert said, it's just two key trigger words that go off in an American's mind that those are the bad guys. You know, that's the bad guys. The Ruskies are the bad guys, and the Nazis are the bad guys. So I can see the kind of game that she's playing here. But it doesn't really hold water when you look at the historical, you know, the historical connotation which she used. Yeah, it's it's a it's in my definition of of the history behind the rise of Nazism and what Hitler did. It's a very minute portion 
And yes, it was an excuse, but it wasn't the one that she touted it around to be, that it was this great thing. I mean, Hitler went into Poland because he said that they got invaded after he staged the, um, after he staged the Glywitz incident. So it's not like, you know, it's not like this revolution just came about where he's like, well, we've got to go protect the Germans everywhere. No, you staged terror attacks and you overthrew your own government and you, you crushed the capital and you, you joined two of the largest branches of government into the Fuhrer. I mean, that's, this is not what it's about at all. But um, once again, the American people might buy it up, but, um, but uh, off mainstream media, alternative media, and people that, that actually read history books like, like yourself, myself, and Robert are, are really not buying this stuff. So, uh, Robert, do you got any other points to add to this before we, uh, before we move on to some, to some fun stuff? Talking about guns, baby. Well, um, I, I would like to add, too, that it, it not only does it belittle those who might have an opinion based on history without actually having, uh, you know, documentation, mm-hmm. uh, but and not only that, it distracts from really what's going on over there. You have all these breaking stories about where the snipers that were killing rebels were actually rebels hired by the rebels to kill rebels. Uh, you you, you have... Uh, by American interests as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, then, which is getting into... Uh, where the funding for this rebellion truly came from. And then, you know, you start seeing initials like CIA and, you know, and CFR. And then all of a sudden the the whole scheme of what's going on over there starts to make a lot more sense. And that any... But really quickly... uh, Well, let me me just sum this up. I was just going to say that anybody, regardless if you uh, think that you have an intelligent opinion about history or not, should remember the fact that nothing in history happens by accident. Uh, the old. So you're telling me that coincidental history doesn't exist? That That's my standard theory. <laughs> okay. I, yeah. I the, I'm I'm not a fan of the coincidence model of history either. But I just wanted to say that you know that uh, that scenario that you outlined, uh, you know, essentially NATO, who's backing rebels, hiring rebels to shoot at rebels and police, uh, is exactly as crazy as it sounds. Um, and because it's pretty fucking crazy. But this is, this is what actually happens in the world, which is why when I hear things like Ben Affleck is a CIA agent, uh, I can't exactly laugh at it because I look at some of his work and, uh, and see it as a recruiting tool for these kind of shenanigans. So. Well, I, I think that it's <laughs> Why did you have to go there this early in the podcast? We got four I just minutes. I just had to I'm just dropping that one. We're not going to talk about it anymore. It's just that that's something that people can look up and investigate on their own. So it'll be a fun it'll be a fun little homework assignment. And enjoy the fun rabbit hole that has been Affleck and his terrible movies everybody. So moving on actually kind of parallel to what we were talking about. The Second Amendment. Yay. Speaking of how terrible Ben Affleck is. Um now, Bloomberg has now partnered with Facebook to try to get Facebook to start banning um, gun ads to, quote, curtail illegal, drug, or illegal gun sales on Facebook's website. So I guess I'm going to pull some from the article here. And this is, um, this is obviously a big victory for the, for the Mothers Against Violence or whatever they're called. Um, it says Facebook is cracking down on illegal dr- uh, gun sales. I keep saying drug sales, but whatever. Illegal gun sales pass through this website by seeking to prevent criminal activity, always to keep you safe, criminal activity. The criminals are everywhere. And setting the precedent for other social medias to follow. Oh, yes. Follow the indoctrination, everyone. Uh, Facebook deletes posts where users declare willingness to break the law, such as sell a gun without a background check or transport it across the United States state lines 
the company said today in its blog post. People who promote private sales of guns or other regulated goods and services might get a message from Facebook reminding them to comply with the law. So um, it says right here, this is actually a, um, that's a, that's a fallacy, but we'll, we'll keep going. While pages related to such activities will have to include language about the importance of following the law. Remember, the state is your dad, and you better do what dad says. The world's largest social network is responding to criticism from advocacy groups such as Mayors Against Illegal Guns, which is the biggest joke I've ever heard in my life, which has lobbied Facebook for months to regulate users' posts about firearm sales on their profiles and their group pages. While no money changes hands on site, the group says it is enabling illegal sales by failing to police the conversations that lead to them. So this is this is it. This is this is the future of serfdom. You can't even post anything about a gun on Facebook, even if you live in a state where it's perfectly legal to own a firearm. All right, so here we go. We're going to keep going with this. This is one of the many areas where, and this is a quote, this is one of the many areas where we face a difficult challenge in balancing individuals' desire to express themselves on our services, which you guys block and ban all kinds of stuff. So what does it really matter? And by recognizing that speech may have consequences elsewhere, the company said in a post, we believe these collective efforts represent the right approach in balancing people's desire to express themselves while promoting a safe, responsible community. But see, that's the thing, Facebook. You never said that you were going to censor anybody. And YouTube, the same thing. You were a quote-unquote public commons, and that's why people went to you, so they could post whatever they wanted to post. It's freedom of speech. It's your First Amendment right. But evidently, as soon as it hits Facebook, it's not your right anymore because it's a publicly traded company, and they can make their own rules and make their own laws. So I won't even read the rest of this article. I'll uh, I'll post it in the show notes after uh, after today. You guys can find those on uh, wearenotcattle.net. But um, all right, we're gonna go backwards around the horn. Um, Josh, what do you make of this? Well, I just think it's uh, ultimately a, a question of uh, whether or not people are willing to use these services uh, at their own peril. Uh, and to a certain extent, they've become such a fixture of of modern digital life. And I don't think Facebook um, is necessarily excuse me, uh, any different than any of the other kind of digital media outlets we so commonly use today, whether it's search engines or, again, GooTube, as you mentioned, uh, or even your cell phone and, and these kind of network services, right? So to a certain extent, you're, no matter what, you're, what aspect of your digital life you're participating in, you are surrendering these kind of privileges uh, at the behest of the corporatocracy, because we all sign the EULA without reading it, because it's a thousand fucking pages long. Excuse my French. Um, now, all all that being said, though, I think that there's a tremendous difference between the internet of even ten years ago and the internet of today. Uh, that being not the implementation of multimedia and and that kind of stuff, which is very important. But I'm talking about the organ the structural organization of the internet, in that most social networking, if you could even call it that, I don't really know if the term. Uh, was uh, was as prevalent back then, mm-hmm. um, but it, it took place largely anonymously or pseudo anonymously uh, through forums uh, and other comment sections and, and websites like Dig and I guess Reddit kind of is a, is a predecessor of this kind of idea. But it was largely I, I don't want to use the word compartmentalized, but uh, structured around people having a variety of interests and 
associating with people again voluntarily on that basis, being involved in multiple communities simultaneously, depending on their interests, right? And this kind of new modern form of social media where this, this idea of one of a corporatocracy kind of conglomerating all of this information within the cloud and then farting it out based on what it thinks it knows about you mm-hmm. uh, is not only an insane way to organize this information, it's an insane way to connect with people. It's also incredibly dehumanizing because I think that for people like us, for activists like us, it's very depressing to go on Facebook uh, and, and Twitter and these social networking sites to get the word out because to a certain extent we have to use these, these platforms. Sure. And then on the other hand, recognizing that for most people, it's this kind of sick form of self-masturbation mm-hmm. where it's, you know, there's this, this, you know, persona that becomes your, your social networking account mm-hmm. and everything that you post to it and associate with it is this part of you that's not really you. Correct. Uh, so it's, I don't know, I think th- there's a lot of things to say about this. Yeah, and I think that we can go on for a little while. So, Robert, what do you what do you make about this, uh, the censoring part in general, and then we'll get on the Second Amendment. I, I I first want to say that it's perfectly within the right for Facebook to do whatever the hell it pleases with its own software and its program. Um, but there is a lot to say about the fact that nobody reads these user agreements because they make them so incredibly long that you would have to be you know a, a law major or Barack Obama to. <laughs> To go through it all. You Dude, know? I bet um, he writes his own Facebook terms and conditions. <laughs> but, you know, um, so for as far as that goes, I can't say that I'm upset with – I mean, I'm upset with them on a philosophical level. Yeah, you know, come on, Facebook. This is supposed to be social media, and if you're censoring what we can socialize about, then you're not really social media. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm upset about that. Uh, uh, but uh, on the part of uh, the agenda that's being – pushed here is it's not Facebook that's making this decision. It, it's petitioners and people in high levels of power who are pressuring Facebook to do exactly. this and do, using not only their power as a political structure, but then their power as shareholders to decide what it is that the consumers should be truly deciding what uh, Facebook is doing. If it was to follow, you know, the traditional business model, what is the demand? Let me give you what you are demanding. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it's one of those double-edged sword. Facebook, if you want to censor me, that's fine, but at, at least listen to your customers. Right. And the capitalistic point of view, um, you're exactly right. The free market capitalists would say, if you don't like what they're doing to you, then jump off board. Don't let them have your, don't let them have your info. Don't let them have your, you know, your your profile, don't let them have any of your cash, don't let them have any of your time. And I can understand that to an extent, but like you said, we have to use this as, as a way to um, interact with other people. And until we develop a new platform, we're just going to have to deal with it. And yes, I was more concerned with the social ramifications and the the agenda being pushed and and how it's being pushed around the country in even over the last five years, that guns are this evil thing, that they're this terrible, there's this terrible, you know, they even use, um, they even use logical fallacies like gun violence, which doesn't hold water if you break it down to its core, because a gun is an inanimate object, and it can't by itself create violence. But they like to use that in order to, in order to create this fervor that um, that something's always going to happen bad with a gun. But in the hands of the state, 
In the hands of the in the hands of the oligarchs in the hands of the state, guns are perfectly fine, and that's where they need to be under people that have badges and certificates. Never mind if they're psychopaths and they don't even pass. You know, they can't even pass a hundred point IQ test. Never mind that. You know, just go with the fact that they've got a badge and a uniform, and and that makes them completely liable and completely capable of carrying a a lethal device and also using it with discretion. So. I get very frustrated when we're talking about Second Amendment issues because it's a tool of freedom. And if you, if you take away that tool, then the only thing that keeps me from being a slave to the state is nothing. That's, that's the last well, line of defense. Yeah, go ahead, Robert, and then Josh will go to you. Well, I just want to point out, because a lot of people like to say there's a debate when it comes to the, the, the grammar of the Second Amendment. And so let's say that comma is there because they – you know, uh, they were trying to separate the militia from the people. Let's say that is, that is true, because that is one argument I hear from a lot of leftists when it comes to the definition of the Second Amendment. I just want to take a moment to read the definition of militia. It's a group of people who are not a part of the armed forces of a country, but are trained like soldiers. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, well, go ahead. I mean, you can continue, but... If you read anybody from that date and time, the reason that they wanted to use a militia, the reason that they wanted to do these things, is because of the simple fact that they left an oppressive empire, that the empire was the only one that had the guns. The empire was the only one that had you know, final say over these things. The empire would come and put a soldier in your house to check and make sure that everything that you bought was manufactured in England. It didn't matter if you took two halves of a shovel and whittled down the wooden half and then built the metal half of the actual spade. You could not assemble that in America. You would have to ship it back to England, have them put it together, put the freaking queen stamp on it, and then send it back – or excuse me, the king stamp – send it back to you, and that's when you get your good, and that's when you paid your taxes. So the people that say that to a certain extent I would say have never read – Anything from Patrick Henry, they've never read anything from George Washington, never read anything from any one of the, the founding fathers that wrote this actual document and, and understand what they were trying to safeguard and protect. And like Thomas Jefferson said, hey, we're going to give you the tools, and even if you try like hell, you're probably still not going to keep it because the tyrants and the oligarchs are always going to try to rise to power, just the way it goes. Josh? Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, on the on the point of the Second Amendment, you know, George, I think George Mason said it best when he said, I ask, sir, what is the militia? It is the whole of the people, except for a few public officials. To disarm the people is the best and most effectual way to enslave them. Now, obviously, I would heartily disagree with the even the few public officials aspect of that, but it's very clear, uh, again, as Robert outlined, that the grammar of the Constitution is uh, is clearly on the side of, uh, of a well-armed public. Mm-hmm. Or a well-armed, you know, quote-unquote citizenry, whatever the hell that's supposed sure. to mean. Um, but kind of, I think that it uh, is our, I guess, responsibility to push this a little bit deeper, mm-hmm. because I, I think that if you're already here listening to this podcast or this this uh, this live broadcast, and you don't already know about, you know, the rights of uh, self-defense intellectually and morally, then you know, <laughs> it would behoove you to do a little bit of homework before uh, I guess tuning in. Check out my last two years of my work. Go ahead. Exactly. But uh, so on that front, connecting this to Facebook, I think Robert's point about you know Facebook 
being uh, uh, this this entity that consumers have a, a level of free market decision over their support, uh, tacit or otherwise, of that entity, that's completely and utterly true. But I think it's very important to note that Facebook is not a uh, a, a company in an in an agora. It is a company uh, that is incorporated, right? And it's traded on the New York Stock Exchange, which gives it uh, certain legal ramifications and, and legal privileges that are afforded to it that not every other company has. And these are granted exclusively by the state. They're granted specifically with regard to the, the laundering of, of money, for the most part, drug and arms money, even, even you know, a lot of uh, child and human trafficking mm-hmm. uh, that money that's also laundered through this system. Sure. Uh, so when, when someone gives, you know, like dots the T's and crosses the I's on your, on your official welcoming day to the New York Stock Exchange, that comes with a lot of, a lot of different connections, right? Sure. So I, I think that, you know, in that, in that sense, Facebook truly is, uh, uh, when, I, when I say refer to government entities and corporations as members of the corporatocracy, I see very little difference between Facebook and an NSA, right? Sure. They're, they're almost so, so similar or dissimilar, or excuse me, similar at this point that there's, there's almost no distinction. Right. One, they're, they're two hum, humongous monoliths, and, and the only difference is that the state actually gets its funding through the unwillingness of the people, and corporations get their funding through the willingness of the people paying mo- the money. That is the only two differences. The state takes their money but at the barrel of the gun, and corporations get their money through whether it's um, stock, you know, stock buyouts, people stock options, or people just actually investing in the company themselves and buying the goods and well, services that that company provides. I guess my primary argument is that both are uh, essentially guarded and um, and protected by that same military force. So in that sense, there's absolutely no distinction. Okay. Uh, what I, I would like to point out that Josh does have a point too. Since um, since that Facebook is publicly traded, the, really the consumer isn't the average user. It's the one who is buying the most stocks. So those who those are the ones they're actually beholden to. Uh, versus us as the end user. So, uh, it, like you said, it's not an agora system. It's uh, it's you know, it's incorporated. So, you know, it, it. But I'm just saying, with logical standards, you would think that they would try to please the end user, um, so that the money will be continually made for those who are the stockholders. But that actually brings up a good point. And um, Josh, so that's one point for you. You got one more to deliver, and you're about halfway through the show. So. Keep it up, buddy. Um, here comes my, uh, I guess, good point. Corporations are never liable to you, the citizen, uh, kind of expanding on this. They're, the CEO's job, his job description is to increase profits. That is his sole job. His job is not to make the end user happy. His job is to not create a better rating with a better business bureau. His job is to raise the stock price. That is it, period, the end. And by whatever means necessary, that's how they get it done, and that's why we're in the situation that we're in with all these corporations running absolutely rampant. Most of them are bigger than most of the countries in the entire world. The top, what is it, top 50 countries or top 50 companies in the United States or around the world actually have more money than most countries. So we're dealing with two a, a enormous um, entities, and like Josh said, at the end of the day, both use the weapon of the state in order to enforce whatever um whatever protocols or whatever mandates that they have so um what josh you got anything else to add here 
not particularly, but I mean, there there are a lot of different things that we could we could talk about with regard to um, Facebook. Uh, again, being a company that is now supposedly against the Second Amendment on a policy basis, mm-hmm. and their con- their connection to things like uh, you know global technocracy and the establishment of uh, of a police state. But even then, we can talk all we want about face deals and, uh, you know, it's revelation of that, the revelation of that society and something like Minority Report and how they're all kind of beholden to the same funders. And this is, you know, predictive programming for society we're now about to enter. Sure. But the, the problem, I guess, is that when we talk about, you know, working with people within a free marketplace to say, you know, Facebook uh, isn't necessarily uh, a, a moral and honest company that you should be storing your data with. Sure. I think the ma- majority of the American people would say, well, what's wrong with me geotagging my location everywhere I go whenever I meet up with friends and recording audio notes to each other on Facebook and passing the- and messaging each other mm-hmm. constantly and, uh, and, and, you know, expressing these, all of our innermost thoughts and desires in a very public forum. What's wrong with that, mm-hmm. right? And right. they don't even make the connection between the technocracy and what they've been conditioned to accept over a very long period of time. So if we're gonna, if we are going to mobilize people to say maybe this uh, uh, this technocratic society is not exactly what I want, maybe this kind of free and open exchange on the internet needs to be a little bit more decentralized. They first have to know what the problem is. Sure. Uh, so I, I think that you know, I guess that's why shows like ours exist. Yeah, but, exactly. To, to at least alert people to the technocracy and say, do you want to be a part of this? And, and jumping back to what Robert's statement was earlier, I can't remember if it was Bertrand Russell that said it or if it was um, Carol Quigley, but they said that eventually they'll get the society to a point, conditioned to a point, where if you aren't a scholar or if you aren't somebody in a white lab coat, then your opinion will not matter. And that those are the people that they will look to in the hierarchical pyramid is you'll look to the people that are the quote-unquote experts. I think that was Quigley that said that in the beginning of Tragedy and Hope that he said that you will yield toward the experts and the expert opinion because that's always how they predecess it. Well, expert well, opinion says – yeah, go ahead. Um, Robert, you want to go? Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say that that could de- definitely be compared to what we know about ancient history as well mm-hmm. when it comes to the priest class, mm-hmm. how the Absolutely. priest class was the only one that was allowed to read to you from the Holy Writ or the only one that was allowed to um, – uh, solve issues within a community. I just wanted to make that comparison real no, quick. That's a, very, that's a very valid point to bring up. I mean, look at Catholicism before Martin Luther, before he translated the Bible. You had the guy reading the edicts of the Bible saying that, you know, no, this is what this is God's word, and you guys are the peasants, and you can't read God's word because you're not skilled enough. So I'll just tell you what God wants you to do. So you're exactly right, Robert. I mean, it's, it's the appeal to authority. It's, it's, a, it's an age-old logical fallacy. And it's an it's an age old mind control technique used by uh, elitists to gain power and control. It's just sorry. Welcome to welcome to reality, everyone. So, um, Josh, you wanted to add something else? Oh, I was just going to say that to to Robert's point. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. And you know, this this kind of occulting of information is as old as uh, humanity discovering things like violence for the first time. Right, realizing that you can use tools to slay other human beings more efficiently, and maybe keeping the knowledge of how to how to make those tools or acquire them. Right. So, you know, this kind of secrecy is, uh, it's, it's abhorrent and it's a disgusting part of human, uh, human, I guess at this point, I, you could say human nature. It's been with us for so long. Um, but, you know, whether it's intellectual or physical, uh, I think that, you know, again, shows like this kind of enumerating and, and shedding light into these dark places is important. 
Um, but I just wanted to say to your specific point about the occulting of that information, uh, Carol Quigley did say something to, the, that, to that effect, but as did Bertrand Russell. I think it's very clear that uh, Bertrand Russell's uh, kind of uh, uh, lust for a more technocratic society is is abundantly clear uh, within the fiction of his uh, his kind of uh, his student and protege uh, Aldous Huxley, who mm-hmm. again goes on to um, to uh, to found uh, MK Ultra and do a lot of experiments at the behest of the government. Uh, supposedly. On, on that. supposedly, supposedly, uh, in air quotes, allegedly, yeah. it's allegedly. allegedly. There we go. Yeah, I got to thank Smedley Darlington, or not Smedley Butler. Oh my goodness. Uh, well, what's his name? You got Nazis uh, on the brain, dude. <laughs> yeah, man. Seriously, um, too many Nazis. Oh God, no! You, yeah, because you you're so concerned about Russia. Gen- General Albert Stubblebine. Stubblebine. There we go. Okay. Stubblebine. My Lord, have mercy. We are all over the map, but this is actually kind of fun. And oh, Robert, just to just another point to anybody that's a leftist that says that we need to define what they meant by militia. Here's the one thing that I would say about the Second Amendment. They had battleships and freaking cannons back then. Do you see either one of those prohibited, that you can't own a battleship or a cannon? Mm-mm. Well, wait, wait, I can go buy a battleship? Because if you that's true, I'm starting a Kickstarter campaign right now. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's see if we can actually get the journalistic revolution of battleship. Let's do it. The J-Rev battleship. <laughs> Uh, so that's one for Robert. All right, so we're, Robert, we're bringing the revolution to you. That's it. <laughs> we're going to liberate you just like America. All right, so that was one one laugh from Robert. You got uh, 19 minutes to give us one more. All right, uh, 19 minutes. I can do it. I think you can too. All right, Josh, you wanted to say something else? Well, I was just going to say, you know, that point kind of speaks to another uh, thing that Carol Quigley said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he essentially said that, you know, there's a. Uh, the the only time when human liberty is ever achieved in society, uh, it's it's when the people are armed and 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 well well uh, equipped, right, to That's defend right. themselves. Mm-hmm. And the only time that you have the epicenter of human liberty is when the the population is armed with the exact same tools as the state, right? That's and correct. this this ends during the establishment of mechanized warfare and the military industrial complex and the establishment of you know nuclear weapons and bioweapons and these kind of things, right? So now there's now there's such a disparity that you know in in that sense we're we're all kind of dead men walking. But no. Well, yeah, no, a perfect example I, I would use is drones. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah, I can go out and buy a drone right now, but the best I'm going to get out of it is it's going to carry my iPhone up as high as I can to get some pretty shots. It can't deliver a 30-pound payload bomb <laughs> anywhere in the world at my disposal. You know, and, and so, get the dude that flies at the Silver Star. Yeah. So, you know, but at the same time, I I don't want to talk too against uh, uh, technology because I I do think it has its place in society and that the the benefits are are grand Mm -hmm. and 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 could really help humans evolve past a lot of problems that we have in this world. But the problem is, is not the technology, but who is in control of it. No, I would I would 100% agree, and that's one of the reasons that I that I harp on technology so much is I, I'm a huge fan of technology. I love technology. I would love for my phone not to spy on me. I would love for my webcam that I'm using here not to be able to be turned on remotely by the CIA if they wanted to check and you know take a peek into my kitchen. I mean, I would love that stuff. But you have to understand the inherent risk of all this new technology. And as a species, as a society, you have to you have to come with the grips that 
you know what? It is it is your decision. It is nobody else's. If you decide that you're going to go along with this, if you decide this is the way that you're just going to sit in the weeds and let somebody else worry about it, as I like to say, the old American, well, somebody else is taking care of it. You know, that's the um, – I don't know why that's just the biggest cop-out of them. America is just like, well, somebody's looking into that. Who's doing it? I don't know. Somebody's – Somebody's on it. Somebody's making sure they're not making black holes over there in that Hadron Collider that are going to collapse the entire planet in on itself. Somebody's somebody's doing it. I got to watch football, man. LeBron James. Somebody in a white coat. Don't not just somebody. It's somebody in a white coat. That makes them official. I mean, you're absolutely official. I want to do an experiment. I want to wear a white coat out in public and give people commands and see how many follow my instruction. Dude, all right. No, so let me let me no, give you a, a quick side note, Josh. Let me. All right, you're next. All right, my show. You're next. Ah, I had to pull that one. All right, so at least I made a couple of people laugh there, probably. All right, so um, I've got video of this, and I actually um should actually promote this a lot more. Um, when I went out and protested the private Federal Reserve, one of the two times that I've act three, four times that I protested, but two times in the same year. I would tell people, because they would walk, there's like a little pathway that goes right in front of the Fed, but they have this big, nice little marble barrier around it, and people would walk onto the property of the Federal Reserve, and I would sit there and bullhorn these people, and I would tell them to get off the private property, and everybody would like scurry off, and these people would look at me like, what the hell? I'm like, dude, I'm a bullhorn. I'm, a, I'm an authority figure. I mean, if you have a bullhorn, damn, this guy's got to be important, kind of like Robert said, and um, Robert, there was a guy that already did that experiment. It's called Pavlov, and it was not about ringing the damn bell. It was about when the scientists would come in, they would see the white lab coats, and they would salivate. They didn't even have to wait for the bell. I hate it when people misinterpret that study. It makes me so damn mad. Well, or I, not? Yeah. Look, I wouldn't say misinterpret, but they definitely don't look into the full extent of it. Right. Or, it, so it was it was so conditioned that they would walk in with the white lab coats and it's just like, all right. Or, no, or right. even or even something like the Milgram experiment, where that is oh, oh. made a. That association is made abundantly clear. But Robert, to I guess refine your social experiment, I would say wear a lab coat outside of a hospital and uh, try to get people to sign a petition for eugenics. Um, <laughs> oh, wow, that's actually yeah. a good one. I think Josh I will do that one. Number two. So, there you go. So Robert's got to make one more laugh, and I just got to basically hold the fort down for another 14 minutes. Yeah, guerrilla video at its finest, I would say. But, I, that's a great idea, Josh. Well, welcome to our next man on the street, I guess. <laughs> Robert. So uh, what's the next subject, man? I, I'm feeling pumped. Let's do this. Okay, so um, we are about out of topics here. So there has been some talks of gun confiscation in Connecticut. Have you guys seen this stuff? Yes, I, I've seen um, PDFs of the letters that are going out and stuff like that. Do these people forget what country that they live in? I mean, I don't understand. I don't care how much political pressure you get put under. When are you going to come to a point where you just say, no? I mean, what, what did Mark Passio say? The most powerful world that we all have to learn is no and both connotations and no to authoritarianism and no meaning having knowledge. And at this point, if you get that piece of paper – as an American citizen, what do you do? I mean, well, I, I don't know what I would do. I mean, I'm sorry, but the state's got a hell of a lot more guns than I do. And they've got people with black uniforms and black gloves on that are just ready to, ready to get somebody because they play you know, Call of Duty all the time and they're ready to get a double kill or something. I don't, I don't know what their deal is. But a lot of these people that I've seen, I've seen more aggressive activity towards gun owners and towards people that are anti-status 
than I've ever seen in a free society. And it just kind of shows the spiral that we're in. And that's why we're all in this big grab bag here trying to, to get people like, hey, pay attention to this. Hey, pay attention to this. Like, real stuff's going on, people. Not just LeBron James scoring 61 points. And the only reason I keep saying that is because that's the only sports tidbit that I know over the last couple of weeks. So forgive me, people. All right, so go ahead, man. Well, as far as Connecticut goes, I mean, it just goes back to, you know, uh, proving grounds that we've seen happen ha- over and time again. And this one just didn't have a false flag to kickstart it like we saw with Boston. You know, you had the false flag bo- Boston bombing, and then what do they do? They martial law uh, areas that these people weren't even in, mm-hmm. um, you know. And, but this is the first time we're seeing it where they did, they're like, false flag? Psh, who needs them? The American people are stupid. We're just going to go and confiscate their guns over here in Connecticut. And if we can do it in Connecticut, then we're going to do it in New York. And if we can do it in New York, then New Jersey, then Chicago. Then, and it, and it'll, it, it'll spread like wildfire. I hate to use that example because a slippery slope, as we know, is a logical fallacy. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when it's when you've seen it happen time and time again, these proving grounds and then the moving forward uh, with these laws on national levels, a perfect example would be one that actually happened to me personally. Here in the state of Florida, they started the Anti-Rave Act, uh, which was basically turning all raves and all techno-related concerts into a crack house. If anybody got caught uh, on drugs or, uh, or intoxicated or with drugs, um, at your event, the, the producers and promoters would be arrested for owning and operating a crack house. It worked so well in the state of Florida that it became a national law, which they attached to the Amber Alert Act, so that we would look like a bunch of douches if we told you to vote against it. Wow. Your boys in the state. So, um, all right. So, Josh, do you want to comment on the gun confiscation um, opportunities, or do you want to well, shift topics? No, I, I do want to touch on that quickly because I think that there's like a, an important distinction that needs to be made here. We've got kind of these events that are, um, uh, you know, again, very uh, much a manipulation of the Galen dialectic <clears throat> where they're deliberately fomented by uh, the Anglo-American establishment, used as an opportunity, as a, as a beta test of sorts, and then they observe the results. Things like the Boston bombing are... Or, 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 Katrina, or Katrina after or um, well, and then there's there's confiscation after Katrina. Well, and then there's these other events where it's kind of this, uh, you know, where you don't have to necessarily do the crisis initiation, where something bad happens and you use it as an opportunity, as Rahm Emanuel said. I, I think it could be certainly argued that Katrina and um, uh, Hurricane Sandy in New York uh, may very well have been uh, a manipulation by you know state and non-state actors. Um, but I think obviously the evidence is a lot more sound for something like the Boston bombing where we can look at the paper trail and we can look at the, uh, the actors involved. And then we have instances like this Connecticut issue right now, um, where, you know, this is obviously fomented, uh, by state and non-state actors, uh, in the Sandy Hook crisis. That is, uh, that is the hope. I'm sorry, people, but my friends told me all, they were like, you need to look into Sandy Hook. You need to look into it. And I was like, I, I think it's a legitimate deal. But the more that you look into that, and the fact that, once again, I'm sorry, but anytime they bulldoze something, you know, think about, think about the two false flags that you've seen in your lifetime. What's the first thing they did after that quote-unquote plane hit the Pentagon? Oh, we got to get bulldozers out there and clean up the rubble. Well, clean it up. You guys are putting stuff on it. Yeah, we're just, uh, you know, it's to put out the fire. There's no fire. Just, just shut off the cameras. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, really quickly to sum up that point, I was just saying that, you know, this, this gun confiscation in Connecticut, I think is largely a bluff based on this, this former fomentation. Sure. Because obviously I don't think the Connecticut State Police have uh, the wherewithal, the uh, mobilization ability, or uh, the, again, the will to go to 100,000 people who are, again, most likely armed and, uh, and unfriendly towards them and try and confiscate their guns door to door. Maybe that's something that uh, this, the, American, the Anglo-American establishment will keep in its back pocket uh, as, a, as kind of the triggering of some kind of larger false flag event, but I don't know if it's going to happen right now or if it will happen at all. Um, but that being said, speaking to uh, the, the, the other point that you had made, oh my goodness, I just lost it. Okay. Uh, what were you saying? That's okay. That's okay. Oh, uh, the, the Sandy Hook, the the way that the Sandy Hook... Oh, yeah, Sa- Hook, Sandy Hook. I think that... Hookies all get out? Yeah, we just need to look at the history of these kind of uh, false flag operations within schools, not only their connection to things like SSRIs, but look at let's look at a, a school shooting that we have a lot more context for, the one that kind of put school shootings on the map, uh, right, uh, in, um, in Colorado. Uh, Columbine. It, yes, yeah, Col- Columbine, where we have this, this uh, kind of story where these kids are not only heavily involved with law enforcement for a number of years, but they've got, uh, you know, at, at some point in time, these boys alleging in their notes, or at least one of them, I forget which one was more the chief figure, who's alleging that he was, uh, he was routinely molested uh, and used for, for despicable acts uh, by, a, by a member of the police force. And the, the goal of Columbine was, was, uh, was kind of this twisted amalgamation of, uh, of an, in attempting to create an event to get cops to show up to kill police officers, right? And this this kind of plan is cracked very shortly after uh, this this young man, again I forget his name, was placed on SSRIs. Mm-hmm. Uh, as was Adam Lanza, as was um, uh, what's his yep. name, Aurora, uh-huh. also in Aurora, Colorado, James Holmes, yep. who is uh, you know that shooting took place 20 minutes from uh, Columbine High School. Right. So there's clearly something going on here, and I think the more historical kind of context is given to Sandy Hook. The more, uh, the more we'll know about it, much like these other events. But I think it's just textbook, uh, textbook conflict initiation, uh, in, especially in terms of Sandy Hook. Uh, and the, kind of the moment I saw it, uh, I hate to be that guy who jumps off and, and prematurely says that this is, there's something more to this. But any, any kind of large publicized school shooting, uh, I think, deserves investigation at this you point. Know, I, will, I will take the, the, a quote from Ben Swan that says, we went from the media asking all the questions to the media having all the answers, and that's what the American people basically do, is that they sit and they want the media to tell them what they want. Once again, Bertrand Russell, again, saying that we're going to condition these people so much that the media will not just give them information. It will tell them what to believe and why to believe it, and so that's where we're at as a society. And then people that break the classical conditioning, that break through the matrix, so to speak, that can see the fraud, that see the weapon of the state, that see all these evil things that go on in the name of freedom and, oh, they hate our freedoms, so we got to go there and enslave an entire population and put sanctions on them and kill 300,000 kids, and that's completely fair, and then go over and kill another million Iraqis, and that's, you know, that's to find weapons of mass destruction that they don't have, but oops, we made a boo-boo. Now back to the news. But I think that it's really, um, it's really starting to show that you're having two separate veins of society, basically, that are springing off now. And we're starting to get more traction for people in the truth movement and the freedom movement that are saying, listen, you, 
I mean, these people are saying the same things to you um, all the time. I was listening to an interview where um, Alex Jones today had Ben Swan in studio, and he made a great point. Ben Swan says, nobody's watching any more news than they used to. The numbers of news ratings don't go up. They just stay the same, and people flip-flop from one news agency to another. So they're not gaining an audience, and they're still – Fox is still using the same talking points that they've used since 1990, and CNN's doing the same thing. And so now you're having all these people saying, listen, I've heard all this stuff before. The economy's not getting better. I know that this stuff is a crock of stuff. You know, and then they start listening to people like Stefan Molyneux and, and other people that are really trying to break down what the state is and what it is not only metaphorically but philosophically as well. And people are really starting to understand that, that having um, an out of, out of your control, having any side of freedom, whether it's monetary freedom, uh, intellectual property, or your physical protection, having that out of your control is never a good idea. That is sacrificing freedom, and you're, and you're never going to get it back once you sacrifice it to the state. It's not what the state does. The state doesn't play patty cakes. So um, you guys, you guys want to talk about the Bitcoin person that died or what? Uh, well, <laughs> well be- before we do that, kind of speaking to your point, Jake, mm-hmm. I do want to say that I don't think it's just this kind of flip-flopping between corporate networks that's happening. I do think that in, as many people are consuming you know, news media today as they ever have, Mm-hmm. And it's not just this tremendous dip in cable numbers uh, that that is that should be indicative of of a population that doesn't want to be informed. It's also this explosion of kind of the alternative media. Uh, and I just think that it's important that we kind of choose our alternative media sources even carefully. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got this Glenn, Glenn Greenwald, Peter Omidyar, Jeremy Scahill, NSA co-funded, co-founded venture that is now masquerading as alternative media. We have Amy Goodman's democracy now funded by uh, George Soros and the Rockefeller Foundation and all these kind of uh, sugar daddies that we're familiar with uh, that, that are increasingly popular, and yet that we have a show like this one or a show like us or, or a platform like Sabelle Edmonds' Boiling Frogs Post that utterly refuses to take these, these kind of uh, donations. And, you know, they puddle along, right? But uh, they, they're not even nearly as popular as a lot of these, these large Internet syndication, syndicated sites. And I think that there just needs to be – it's great that the American people and people in the world in general are kind of shifting their media tastes. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, there's still this, this overwhelming obsession with either pop media or media delivered within a format that looks similar to news with the same kind of names that they're used to seeing, right, with the, with the ticker on the bottom and the logo in the bottom left-hand corner, right? And it's, it, I hope that within the next five to ten years – People, uh, you know, abroad and, and, and at home will come to realize that this this age of television media is over and new media doesn't have to look anything like that. It doesn't have to present any kind of the sa- any information in the same manner. It, and it doesn't have to. Man, you love. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, it doesn't have to uh, to even use the same kind of names and faces that you're used to. It's something completely new and completely different. I would agree. And um, I also will, would say that. People would probably prefer to look at the Fox News women than look at our faces. So we'll just put it that way. Robert, uh, for yourself, uh, man. If you, if you, <laughs> I know. I gotta love myself. A I had to get more. my second joke in. I only have sixty seconds. No, that's okay. <laughs> if you guys want to do a few more minutes? We can do a few more minutes because I do want to talk about this Bitcoin stuff. You guys got like five more minutes on the backside? 
Uh, unfortunately, yeah. I have a meeting uh, that I have to get to at 10, and I have some guests over at the same time. Oh, uh, okay. Well, um, I guess we'll go ahead and cut it short here in a little bit, but um, I do want to talk about the Bitcoin stuff later. Josh, um, if either one of you guys can come back next Tuesday or next Thursday, we'll, uh, we'll talk about this Bitcoin stuff because it's getting really interesting with all these people. The, the founder, the so-called founder, is actually being chased in a car chase by police, and this woman that evidently created the first Bitcoin mining site ends up – so death by suicide – Kind of like, um, what, what? yeah, it definitely does seem like there is a coup taking place in the uh, in the Bitcoin world. I'll say that. Okay, go ahead, go ahead, Josh. Well, sorry, really quickly before uh, before Lady cuts us off again. Um, we'll cut us off. We're good. Now. We uh, we do. I do want to say that there's a great article on Silver Doctors about this, um, where uh, one of their one of their frequent uh, co-authors essentially does an audio interview that states that this Mt. Gox attack recently was also a work of potentially the CIA uh, to, 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 to get rid of that actor. And now we're seeing this installation of this kind of new Bitcoin market that people are talking about where it's going to be publicly traded again on the NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange and thus, quote unquote, regulated to be made safer. This in conjunction with all the things that you're talking about, I think it's an interesting listen. Okay, well, we'll... Um Maybe you and I can do a short video this weekend. We are are we going to record our show this weekend just to let everybody know? I would like to. Okay, great. So um, it will take us a while to get that done. Um, I will be in a shirt and tie, um, probably not nearly as dapper as Josh, but I'll do my damn best. But uh, that's it for the show for the evening, guys. Um, as we thought, we got off to a rocky start with the technology failing us and uh, me stammering and stuttering around. But once again... Josh got two points in, Robert got his two jokes in, and I um, basically kept the ship from sinking. So thank you for <laughs> joining us, Robert Wasman of the Journalistic Revolution and Josh Wiley. Um, you guys can find them on Liberty Movement Radio Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday nights from 11 a.m. until – or 11 p.m. until 1 a.m. And sometimes they do Black Hole Hour, and um, I will probably be jumping on with them tomorrow night – Maybe yeah. for the black hole. Who knows? And then we and, can uh, talk about the Bitcoin stuff there. Certainly. And our, our website, by the way, Liberty Movement Radio, is, is one of the places that we're heavily involved with and we broadcast from. But our website, again, is uh, journalisticrevolution.com. You Josh can listen is very to proud too, of it. But... It looks really shiny, dude. It really does. I know you put I, effort into it, so I, I, I give you props. I give you kudos. It looks really good. So that's it for the show, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to us. Um, once again, get a friend, get informed, and get involved, and uh, we'll see you guys on Tuesday at 9 p.m. And look for the One Step Beyond coming soon to a webcam near you. Take care, everybody.